You're listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Ari Shapiro. And yes, I have been missing in action. This is the first baseball podcast in over two weeks. And many of you are probably thinking, what gives? Well, the truth is, aside from being extremely busy with all the various different exciting moments and twists that life can throw itself at you, part of it was, I think, a very kind of self-induced depression that came from watching these Blue Jays over the last few weeks. The irony, of course, is that splitting a series with the Los Angeles Angels is actually not a terrible thing, but being 11 and a half games out towards the end of June of the wild card spot, with the trade deadline quickly approaching faster than many fans are realizing, is probably one of the reasons why many of you aren't exactly thrilled these days. And I'm hoping that this show will hopefully put a bit of a smile on your face, because Lord knows many of you deserve it, listening to the show as faithfully as you do. On this episode of the Jay's Journal Podcast, I'm thrilled to introduce you to a gentleman who dropped by to speak with me who happens to be a mental health conditioning expert and a motivational speaker. This gentleman is absolutely exceptional. His name is Riley Tincher. And some of the exchanges that we had, I think, are not only illuminating to me personally, but I think will go a long way towards making you appreciate why it's so very important to talk about this subject, the issue of mental health, dealing with depression and social anxiety. He certainly has a tremendous perspective and is someone who I think will be very, very successful in opening the eyes and ears of not just the average fan, but many executives and people associated with baseball who are really out to lunch when it comes to understanding why it's so important to look after your professional athletes, literally your employees, and why these changing trends on social media and the things that are happening day in and day out can have such an invisible impact that until it's too late do we realize why some professional athletes do the things that they do and get into the types of trouble that we ultimately see them getting into. After that, Chris Henderson will be dropping by from the Jays Journal, one of our site experts, to talk a little bit about his thoughts regarding Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and the current struggles of the Blue Jays and what it all means with this trade deadline looming. And finally, rounding things up, I urge you to stick around at all costs because I have had a tremendous ride and journey doing this podcast, but nothing as enjoyable as sitting down with Brian Hatt and Matthew Leslie Burke from the Chatting Practice podcast, of which I happen to have been a guest on their second episode. These two gentlemen will keep you entertained for as long as possible. Why? Because they're just too damn compelling to listen to. And uh, I think you'll learn a great deal about what drives their passion for creating some really good quality podcasting consumption for baseball fans all over North America. For those of you following me at home or curious what I've been up to of late, you can find some of my latest exploits on the Baseball Rebellion podcast. I'm featured on episode 37. I appeared on the Sunday edition afternoon show on Vancouver Sportsnet 650 to talk about the Jays right before their final game against Los Angeles. I'll also be appearing on the Brent Cardi show, which is a great baseball podcast I urge you to check out on iTunes and Podomatic. And also I'm scheduled to appear on Sirius XM Radio on the Todd Shapiro show. So needless to say, I've been extremely busy in all facets and areas of my podcasting adventure. 
But I'm really thrilled that you've taken the time to listen to this show because, you know, this show to me is all about coming to grips with the reality of what's happening with this Blue Jays baseball team. And, of course, there's no better source for you to get your fill of all things Blue Jays than on going to www.jaysjournal.com to check out some of the great articles we have from our various writers and contributors, including site experts Clayton Richet and Chris Henderson leading the charge. Right now, there were a couple of articles that caught my eye over the last few days, including one by Bob Ritchie talking about the impact of injuries on this Blue Jays team and looking at a kind of separations between what they call cluster luck in sabermetrics and overall injury effect that can influence the fate of a season. In particular, I'm talking about how Troy Tulowitzki and Marcus Stroman are leading that uh, evaluation of futility when it comes to the impact of injuries. Also, be sure to check out one of our excellent writers, Hayden Godfrey. He looked at Jay Happ and how he keeps raising his trade value with every strong outing, including an overall highlights of this stellar year, and it has been a great year, and why the New York Yankees and the Seattle Mariners look to be the most likely to acquire him, given the resources they have to offer the Blue Jays and the fact that this is such an important impact starting pitcher. You could argue the best one available for any team that's serious about winning a championship this year. So as we turn our attention to certain grim realities at this stage in the season, needless to say, fans, the Blue Jays are going to slowly start stripping away a lot of the pieces that you've known and come to love with this baseball club. And I brought on Chris Henderson. I asked him his thoughts on the criticism that the Blue Jays have suffered this year and what to do with over 90 games left in a season, what his thoughts were on the weeks moving ahead. I mean, I, you know, I'm floating around Twitter all the time. I like to keep, keep up with a few writers from the Yankees and the Red Sox and several other teams, and even them. I mean, they're picking on individual players, whether it's uh, Giancarlo Stanton's strikeouts earlier in the year that were uh, on a record pace, or whether it's been David Price's struggles in Boston throughout his, the contract so far. He's been better lately, but you know, there's always somebody getting a, a, a huge amount of criticism, and the Blue Jays certainly aren't exempt from that. But I think there is a lot of positive things to build on this, whether it's um, you know whether it's just fan engagement or just or, or lack or trying to discourage fan apathy for lack of a better. Way to phrase mm-hmm. it too. I think that's important when you got 97 games left in the year. They they do have like I think five teams or something to leapfrog: is Detroit, and Oakland, and, and one of Seattle or Houston, somebody else in the mix there too. So I mean they've got a, a really really steep hill to climb. But with 97 games left, to just roll over and let somebody like Baltimore, you know, if they had been swept by Baltimore, you know, as I mentioned, that would have been just catastrophic. And at that point, I think you're going to lose a lot of fans. So. Hopefully this is a, a week where they can, you know, the rest of the month even they they turn things around and uh, push for a 500. And at that point, you never know. It'll see, it'll depend on what the other teams are doing as far as wild card standings go. It shouldn't come as a surprise that many fans were clamoring for the promotion of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as a kind of magic bullet or a saving grace to help a season that really was on the ropes and some would argue still is when you consider the number of games left. Present company included, by the way, as an admirer of the player and researching his development, it seemed to me like there was a real window of time where the Blue Jays could have capitalized in bringing him up before he got injured. Unfortunately, they did not. And as a result, the player is now on the disabled list. And I asked Chris whether he felt the Jays should bring him up once he's healthy and how exactly we should find a silver lining in lieu of these recent events and where the season is at currently. 
You know, in a weird, sick way for me, when I read that news, it was almost kind of a, it was almost kind of a sigh of relief because I think there's been, for me as a, you know, we're working as a writer about the, for the Blue, like not for the Blue Jays, but for for, for uh, Jays Journal. You know, it's um, it's a topic that gets debated on a near daily basis, and I never want to see a talented kid like that get hurt in any way, shape, or form. But I think it, it could should basically put the whole promotion for this season debate to bed. Get the guy healthy later in the year. Let him finish the season in hopefully AAA. I think you got to promote him at some point. He's still hitting 407 when he went down with an injury. So, you know, move him up later in the year when he's healthy. But, uh, you know, the way that this Blue Jays team or the state of where things are at, there's no – I don't see a point in, in a June promotion for him or a July promotion for him if he's healthy right now. So I, 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 in a way, I think it could almost have a silver lining. And maybe I am, yeah, doing that hallucinogenic thing like you talked about because I'm starting to have a little bit of hope in the team and finding a silver lining and Vlad getting hurt. But there's there's always something positive to look at, I think. Further to my point from earlier, too, I think for me, I'm not opposed to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. getting called up by any means of this season, but I feel like this team needs to earn that. And that sounds kind of crazy when it comes to a 19-year-old. But, you know, he's a young potential phenom. And if the Blue Jays are really going to, you know, take a different route of development than they had planned when they made long-term plans, obviously those can change. But, you know, you look at how the Braves handled Ronald Acuna, and as much as I hate the manipulation of service time, I think that's a good. there's a good chance that's exactly what's going to happen to the, to the Blue Jays' young young phenom is that he'll come up sometime next year as the way everything's going. But if this, this year's roster is say in the playoff race, when it cuts to August or September, then why not call him up? If he can help them push them over to the, you know, if he can help them actually push for a wild card spot. But I feel like this roster has to earn the sacrifice of that one extra year of control of, of this player. A guy that you know that you do have, assuming he's healthy later in the year, that could be, you know, it's almost, it's, it could be potentially way better than any trade addition that you, you could find before the deadline, too. Uh, but again, I, you know, I think this front office is really proving themselves to be looking at the long term picture, even if they were intending to be, to be competitive this year. And I think they're really going to make this, the rest of this roster earn his promotion, as weird as that sounds. Uh, because the, the reality is, as good as Guerrero is, is going to be. Um, he's not going to be able to drag this team into the playoffs on his own. They call him up right now if his knee was 100%. It's, uh, you know, I think he could help the team, absolutely. But, you know, he's not going to be the sole difference maker. The rest of this roster has to do a lot more first. So moving on with my next guest, and quite frankly, a focus on a subject that many of you have been reaching out and asking me about, that being Roberto Asuna and the challenges facing him, his baseball career, and where he stands with this team, that it would be prudent to bring on someone who can talk about the subject of mental health, really unwrap the whole issue surrounding, or stigma surrounding social anxiety and depression. And so it's my pleasure to give you my interview with Riley Tincher and take a closer look at exactly what some of these challenges are, not just for Roberto Asuna, but for any athlete in a professional sport who finds him or herself grappling with that invisible hidden demon that many people simply and conveniently put aside when they're too busy cheering for their team to understand just how delicate the human condition can be. I urge you to listen to this because I think you'll get a tremendous kick out of understanding what those components are, those moving parts, and having a better perspective on why we need to be very careful and proactive 
with the whole issue of mental health and healthy living for all of us. My next guest on the show is a mental conditioning coach and the author of Pitching Against Myself. Please welcome Riley Tincher on this episode of the Jay's Journal Podcast. Riley, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Ari? Doing well. Glad to finally have you on the show. It's been a while. I was hoping to get you on to talk about, well, let's just get down to brass tacks. Let's talk about mental health, social anxiety, depression, all these things that you and I know have become more prominent in the last few years when it comes to athletes playing a professional sport of the highest caliber. I want to know your thoughts about how baseball in particular, in your opinion, is handling the challenge of keeping their players healthy, willing, and able to be the best sources of, of inspiration for the fans. That's such a great question, Ari. I, you know, it's, it's hard to answer that because I don't really know fully what's going on in each organization. But what I do know from the professional athletes that I've had the fortune of working with is not just baseball, but sports as a whole are not doing a good enough job to address mental health, specifically the mental health problems that you refer to as social anxiety, depression, uh, suicide, um, these very serious issues. So to be honest, uh, and I hate saying this, I don't think we're doing enough. And I think, uh, I think it came out today, actually, uh, Mizzou, Missouri University, or University of Missouri, came out with a study that they did in 2016 for NCAA athletes. And they did a study about how many of them admitted to having some sort of mental health issue. And it said 40% of female track and field athletes claimed that they struggled with some sort of mental health issue. 40%. Then it tailored down, I think it was 35% softball, and then finally baseball was 17%. So we're talking, mm. if there's 100,000 baseball players that were asked to do this study, you're saying that 17,000 of them are saying they have a mental health issue. 17,000, specifically depression, which is which is just absurd. And the, it raises the question, how many of them or how many of the 100,000 actually answered honestly? Because I'm willing to bet that there's a whole lot more than 17,000 of the 100,000. 100, I'm willing to bet there's a whole lot more than the 17% that admitted to having a mental health issue. Now, those, those numbers are absolutely staggering for someone hearing about them for the very first time. So help my listeners understand, what are some of the, the sources of behind why this is happening? Why, what is the cause of such a high number, given that the average person will look at a professional athlete or a celebrity athlete and say, well, look at all this fame, fortune, all this great wealth. And, and infamy that comes with being this amazing professional sports star, how could it be happening to them? That's your question is literally the answer. So we love to put specifically professional athletes up on this pedestal. And we like to hold them up there, and we like to think that because they are amazingly physically gifted 
and they have been given millions and millions and millions of dollars, and they have every resource imaginable to them, that there is no possible way that they could have problems. And it's a lie. And the problem is these athletes know it. So they know this pedestal they're getting put on. So in order to cover up their problems, they put this mask on, this mask of toughness and stoicism and steadfastness, and they never address it. And it gets worse and worse and worse, and eventually it turns into violence or it turns into depression or it turns into suicide for some. And... Like I said, your your question is actually the answer, and I can attest to it because I have a former Heisman Trophy winner as an athlete that I have the great fortune of coaching and mentoring, and he struggles with self-worth. And my immediate reaction was, you're the best college football player in the U.S., and you're saying that you struggle with self-worth? I have an all-pro football player who just signed a contract for well over $100 million. He has an entourage of five to ten people around him at all times, and yet he struggles with loneliness because he keeps people at a distance because he thinks that if they knew the real him, that they wouldn't like him. And that's something we all go through. And it's hard, it's hard to be vulnerable it's hard to kind of put the pride aside to admit that we have problems. But the more athletes I work with, the more people I meet, the more I come to realize that we all struggle, all of us, not just with, you know, little things. I'm talking major things. And no amount of money, fame, glory, attention, followers on social media is going to fix that. And you're seeing that with a lot of the athletes. So I think that's, that's part of the reason, is the pride in saying, I, I'm afraid to tell people that I'm struggling because I don't want to be, I don't want to appear weak. I don't want to appear vulnerable because I'm the captain. I'm the one everyone looks up to. I'm the star player. I make millions of dollars. Um, so, yeah, again, your question is actually the answer mm. to your question. And it's interesting, you hit home with your comments as it relates to how the struggle with uh, with mental health can lead to violence. And here on the local front in Toronto, our uh, elite closer, Roberto Wasuna, as you know, was arrested on domestic assault charges, has been put on what I hate that they call euphemistically administrative leave, which has now been postponed, I think, four or five times as they figure out what to do from a league perspective to address the player. Tell me your thoughts on if you're comfortable with the fact that there are almost like two standards of justice when it comes to a sport like, let's say, baseball, you have the major league office, which decides whether to punish the player, like in a role as Chapman or Roberto Suna, and then at the same token, they have to deal with the actual law itself. What do you think Major League Baseball can do to change the way it addresses it, the whole concept, that is, of mental health? So instead of issuing simply disciplinarian elements or punitive damages, they actually help nip it in the bud before it becomes a problem. We know Roberto Asuna struggled with social anxiety last year. Should fans really be surprised that this player now has reached the next level of his great struggle with his inner self? That is, that is such a great question, Ari, and such a difficult one to answer. I think the problem is 
not necessarily in the punishment or the consequences of the actions of these athletes, but in the, the fact that there's no consistency. So you get one guy that does literally the same thing or gets caught doing the same thing, and his punishment is less. I don't think hmm. there can be a lack of... I don't think there can be an inconsistency in that. And I honestly, I think criminal justice system should play first. Then the organization as a whole uh, should match uh, the punishment that the criminal justice system has uh, allotted. But, it, you know, it's it's such a... It's such a hard question to answer because there's so many, there's so many levels to it. There's so many levels to okay, what what is this domestic violence? What actually happened? How severe is it? Um, there's just so many factors that go into it. But I do believe that the tolerance has to decrease because you you're seeing it come out more and more and more specifically in football, now you're seeing it in baseball, of these high-level athletes who are abusing women, uh, either sexually or physically, uh, and a lot of them are kind of getting away with it. So there's no standard of, hey, if you do this, you're done. Like, your career is over. Uh, so that's, it's, 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 a hard, it's a really hard question to answer. I don't think I have the right answer for it, honestly. I think my concern, Riley, is that we see what is a presumed double standard in how yeah. the league and society handles the challenge of mental health and cases where violence uh, ends up glorifying the situation and turning it into a terrible sensationalistic narrative, right? The last thing a fan yeah. wants to hear and see is a beloved player being embroiled in something that involves yeah. uh, a dispute that comes from his mental health. So what does it say when someone like an Aroldis Chapman gets suspended for many games by baseball, even though the charges were dropped? I wonder if it sends the right message. It, it, it may be almost a counterintuitive play to tell fans, hey, we think he should be punished, even though the Law said he didn't do anything wrong. How do we address yeah. that challenge? See, that, I, I think that I th honestly, and this is just my opinion. I think that decision was based off of fear because it, at that time, a lot of things were going on with Ray Rice and the NFL, uh, and a whole lot of uh, domestic violence things that occurred uh, prior to Chapman doing it uh, or being alleged to do it. Um, and I think it was just the MLB acting out and saying. We're going to prove a point that we're, we have zero tolerance for this so that we don't get the backlash that the NFL got. Sadly, it sounds a little bit too political for my liking. That's, uh, that's, yeah. uh, the, that's a double standard of, uh, of perceived justice that, unfortunately, in this day and age, uh, sends the, raw, the worst signal, I think, to, to fans. Because at the end of the day, if the league truly believes that the individual did not act in the best interests of the sport, then that should definitely be their priority. But to then have him sign a multi-million dollar uh, expensive contract to play for another yeah. city and be exalted as a hero, it almost makes you wonder where exactly are our baseball leaders? Where are the leaders of both the game and, and the players that inspire us to greater heights? You know, we are so quick to judge, very quick to judge, especially now with the speed of social media. And instead of trying to get the full picture of what really happened, 
we are so quick to say something needs to be done and it needs to be done immediately. Uh, and this has just taken off uh, and then some. Explained, uh, I heard somebody explain social media to me earlier that uh, it's kind of like California wildfire. Uh, one minute it'll be, you know, one acre, and then literally five minutes later, it's, it's five square miles. But this time with social media, it can be one little tweet, one little article, and then in mere seconds, that article, whether it's true or, or false, is going to be all around the world in five seconds. Mm. And we are so quick to judgment and quick to assume without hearing the full story. And I think, you know, we kind of live in an era where we do want to judge. We do want uh, a black and white decision on gray areas. And that's really tough. That's really tough. Because, as you know, if things continue to get worse, it's going to present a moral dilemma, I think, for people who love spending money on watching their favorite players and how their players behave on the world stage, so to speak. Um, right. Speaking of speaking of the power of social media, let's talk a little bit about your book, Pitching Against Myself, okay. and what fans should know when they come across you for the very first time. Well, uh, Pitching Against Myself really, honestly, uh, is about my baseball career. Uh, I was an All-American college pitcher here in the U.S., and it's kind of my journey from eighth grade, starting to play baseball, being told that I should quit by my eighth grade coach to becoming an All-American in college just seven years prior to telling or being told that I didn't have a future in baseball. And my, kind of my journey through that and all of the hardships that I overcame during all of that, uh, growing up in an alcoholic household that was filled with depression, uh, dealing with alcoholism myself, dealing with depression, uh, and also uh, actually attempting to take my own life my senior year of college because of the amount of pressure I put on myself. And to be honest, the book actually started as a journal because I actually attempted to take my own life three times, twice after my baseball career was over, because like many athletes, I fell into an identity crisis. I didn't know who I was. I devoted my whole life to baseball, and now I'm no longer a baseball player. I didn't know what I was going to do. And then depression set in, and then shortly after that, suicide took over. And on the third attempt, I had a mentor call me on the day that I was planning on committing suicide. And I answered thinking it would be the last time I would ever talk to him. And thank God I did because he saved my life. And out of that conversation came purpose in my pain and he told me that we don't go through what we go through for ourselves we go through what we go through to help others who are going to go through the same thing and out of that conversation also came this journal he told me to write about my baseball career every little detail of it from start to finish no matter how embarrassing the story is no matter how humiliating the story is no matter how the story makes me look a certain way and as I was writing in this journal, I start meeting more and more athletes who are struggling with the same things I was struggling with, particularly former professional athletes. And I became incredibly discontented. I mean, some of the stories I heard were heartbreaking. And I told my mentor this, the guy that saved my life, 
I said, somebody's got to do something about this. And he said, this is a great indication that you're the one that's supposed to do something about this. And that's when my journal turned into my book. So not only is it the book about my story, my baseball career, but it's also there's a second part to it. And it's a section in each chapter called Knowledge Applied. And to me, knowledge applied is wisdom. And wisdom is the greatest thing we could ever achieve or, or be given. So each chapter is a game or a season that I pitched in, followed by this knowledge applied section, which is the life lesson that I learned during this season in my life and how it has applied to my life after sports and how it can apply to the reader. And really, it's the book that I wish I would have been able to read back when I was playing. The book that says you are more than an athlete. The book that says sports don't define who you are. The book that says your performance doesn't determine your value. And uh, I actually finished the book probably two years ago, and I put it off. And I went on vacation to Los Angeles, and I met this woman on vacation. And I start telling her my story, start telling her my issues with depression and suicide, start telling her about this book I've written, start telling her about this mentorship program I'm running, and she starts crying. And I'm, 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 I ask her, why are you crying, ma'am? She says, you remind me of my son. He was a baseball player. And I said, was? He goes, yeah, he was a pitcher in the minor leagues. And uh, unfortunately, right after he hurt his shoulder, they released him. And that was the end of his career and the end of his life. He decided to take his own life a few short weeks after his release. And he wrote a suicide note. And on that note, it said, I am a, base, uh, I'm a baseball player. All I know is baseball. And I don't want to know anything else. And I don't want to be anything else. And at the end of our conversation, me and this woman, she turns to me and says, my son needed to read your book. And he needed to be a part of your mentorship program. So really, that's what it's about. Because I guarantee every single listener that is, is listening right now to this podcast knows an athlete who is struggling with life after sports. And that's what this book is for. Inspirational words, Riley. You certainly have made this episode one to remember in illuminating people's perspectives on something that always gets kind of murmured about in circles, but never truly discussed as a serious conversation Considering what's happening in this day and age, it's it's extremely appropriate and inspirational that we would have you on. Uh, your website is RileyTincher.com, where you can order Pitching Against Myself. I want to thank you, Riley Tincher, for taking the time to drop by here on the Jay's Journal podcast. Thank you so much for this amazing opportunity, Ari. I love what you're doing with the Jay's Journal, and I am so honored to be a part of this. And that was Riley Tincher. I really enjoyed speaking with him. It's very inspirational when you can sit down with a guest who gives you his true candid feelings on, on a very sensitive issue in a way that is both constructive and meaningful and doesn't sensationalize the, the subject as a whole. 
Speaking of sensationalism, though, I felt that the best way, honestly, to end this show would be to bring on two gentlemen with whom I had a, an almost criminal amount of fun. A few months ago, as I was starting off this season of the Jay's Journal podcast, I was a guest on Chatting Practice, which is a brand new baseball sports comedy podcast run by the talented Brian Hatt and Matthew Leslie Burke. I finally connected with these two gentlemen and had a chance to sit down to get their thoughts on how they came up with the inspiration for chatting practice and what it means to be Blue Jays fans, fans of baseball in general, and follow the trials and tribulations associated with living in this market. Needless to say, some of the some of the exchanges we came up with, I think, will bring a real smile to your face. It certainly did for me. So without any delay, let's bring on Brian and Matt from Chatting Practice and talk about baseball. About six or seven weeks ago, I appeared on another podcast like I like to do from time to time. They are the creators of what I call a rare breed of podcast crossover. It was baseball and comedy, and it's called Chatting Practice. You can find it on Twitter at ChattingPod, along with iTunes and Google Play and the usual suspects. And so I'm thrilled to have their creators, Brian Hatt and Matthew Leslie Burke, here on the Jays Journal podcast. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, sir. That it is. And, you know, it's interesting. When I appeared on your show a month and a half ago, it was uh, under really auspicious circumstances, you might say. You and I, all three of us, we were talking about dancing Venezuelans and how well the Blue Jays were doing. And needless to say, the pendulum has swung. I want to start by asking you both, how does it feel only six weeks after the fact to realize that here we are today contemplating that the season might be going down the tubes. Well, first of all, my I say, Ari, uh, never put words in my mouth, okay? Um, I'll decide what I say. You might not say what I say. Um, but yes, I have felt the pendulum. It uh, has swung from good times uh, right into my, uh, my gunt. And uh, I wish now that uh, mm-hmm. we were in a different place because um, I feel like um, the the train has already come to a full stop, nearly. That uh, we are we are almost into the point where we should start rebuilding <laughs> this team because we're falling wow. into all the same trappings of last season. Time to protect our our, our assets and move along. I mean, mm-hmm. unless the I mean, I didn't think that the uh, I thought the offense was going to regress at some point. Some guys were kind of playing above their a level we could expect them to, and I figured, okay, if the starting pitching gets it together, that's what's going to carry this team. And I know you guys were talking about that in the last couple of Jays journals as well. That that's the thing that we needed to carry this team. That's not happening. And yeah. Unless they turn around right away, let's let's do let's go for a full rebuild. I think that I'd actually be kind of excited about that. Excited about a rebuild, eh? Um, I'm gonna have to digest that throughout the course of the show. And the reason I say that is because, as you can imagine, um, I spend a lot of time talking about the Blue Jays, and I spend a lot of time going on radio shows talking about the Blue Jays. And lately, I've started being accused of being a little bit too negative or maybe cynical for my own good. And this is where I'm really glad to have you both on the show, because my experience on your podcast and with what you're doing truly is tonic, wouldn't you say, for for the current atmosphere and climate? I mean, it really is doom and gloom out there. You've got people pontificating, prognosticating, all the pundits are out in full force saying, I told you so. 
what is it about your podcast that might offer some kind of therapy or catharsis in light of everything that we've been experiencing on on the negative side of the scale? Nothing. None. <laughs> I, I knew it. Sorry. Sorry. We're all about information. Edutainment, I believe, is a, a term I coined just now. And um, if, if you need to pick me up, if, if you're feeling a little depressed about how the season is going, I've heard wonderful things about cocaine, all right? You know, so have I. And I find that podcasting and cocaine just don't mix, much no, like no. many other types of pharmaceuticals or, or narcotics. You know, chatting practice, to me, what I enjoy about your show is that you believe in the theater of the mind when it comes to the listening experience. You literally go for an authentic feel of what it must be like to enjoy the game. What is it that inspired you both, as the creators of this podcast, to get yourself into this direction of finding ways to keep people entertained and amused by giving them things to actually smile about, rather than reminding them why Vlad Guerrero is still in double A? Well, personally, um, when I speak... In my own opinion, not enough people are listening. You know, I, I, I've, I've put a lot of thought into these thoughts. I've, uh, I've groomed them from mere premises into real ideas. And uh, I just wasn't satisfied with the numbers and attention I was getting. So uh, my dear friend Matt insisted on, uh, on helping me with this project to get my message out to the people. Yeah, so hmm. the important thing now is for me to just keep forging the analytics so that Brian believes that he has a big, huge audience now. That's the the main the main That's what it's all about. That's what I do. And these expressions, thinking the thoughts and forging the analytics, it sounds like you're building something in Warcraft. I feel like a bunch of dwarves working at an anvil to create something that'll save the day. It's a lot of fluff, I'll be honest with you, but uh it's what keeps the machine going, you know? What what inspired you? Because I know in your case, Brian, you're you're a professional comedian. You're out there in front of audiences, and in your case, Matt, you're a producer par excellence. You believe in creating and producing the kinds of sounds and and auditory experiences that impress people. How did you guys come together with this idea and decide that you know what we got to collaborate, we got to put up with each other, for whatever it's worth? Uh, well, I, it was. Um one summer, not long ago, we were uh, sort of rebuilding an old friendship. And uh, during a couple of uh, beers and other uh, soon-to-be-legal drugs and a lot of uh, Madden uh, 16, I think it was, uh, we decided that there was a, uh, a market missing in the sports comedy category. A lot of sports podcasts, a lot of comedy podcasts, not a lot of sports comedy, sportmanity, if you will. Uh, and, uh, you know, caution beware, we decided, let's go for it. Um it needs to be done. And, I mean, we did it as a, kind of a YouTube show for a couple summers under the name Jays and Confused. And we just, it made a lot more sense for us. Kind of, it just kind of, the logical direction to go was kind of turned into a podcast. So much of what we were doing was just going to translate to the audio format anyway. So, you know, it's funny you mentioned the the name dazed and confused because it makes me feel uh about you know it makes me think of dazed and confused for obvious reasons and if you're a fan of led zeppelin you appreciate why that is uh did you know that i found out only a few weeks ago that apparently led zeppelin essentially ripped dazed and confused off of the yardbirds when jimmy page was in his first band and simply enhanced it they enhanced the music they made it they upgraded it you know not not qu not quite the way Robin Thicke does it, but you know what I'm saying. They 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 made it theirs. How, how do you feel about comedians 
or entertainers who take ideas that maybe were offered forth by pioneers and then kind of made it their own surreptitiously, kind of like uh, with Bill Hicks and what was his face, uh, Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary, yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's two schools of thought there. Like, if we're talking about hack-stealing jokes, uh, those people should be rounded up and uh, sent to uh, some country where they have no sense of humor. Um, now, uh, all ideas, though, I also believe, uh, in a manner of speaking, have been done before. Do you know what I mean? It's very hard to be totally original. Mm-hmm. I think every artist, in some way, is always biting on something. That I have no problem with. You're just learning from the people that came before you. But stealing, I we we don't we don't like that much in the comedy world. <laughs> That's the ultimate sin. It really is, and and it's kind of in this climate and in this day and age. Tell me who some of your favorites are. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you that I enjoy Jim Jeffries. I like watching Samantha B. Not a big fan of some of the other late night stuff like Trevor Noah necessarily or Jimmy Kimmel. Are there any entertainers or comedians right now that you use as maybe maybe some form of inspiration to make the podcast better, to make your own comedy more accessible? Um, yeah, there's a there's a lot of people actually. Um, uh, I like uh, like Andy Samberg is uh, a guy I like right now just for how he uses the mediums. Do you know what I mean? That he has done like a he's done music, he's done viral videos, he does sketch like. Um, I like the way he does things uh, in the stand-up circle. There's almost too many people to mention, um, a lot of whom have you know recently been taken down for one scandal or another. Uh, but there are still some good ones out there. Um, like I'm always uh, like, uh, what? Oh my God, Jim Gaffigan is one of my favorite guys. Yeah, Brian Regan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, just this. Um, I, I've always Bill, been Bill Burr. Bill, Bill Burr. Burr yeah, exactly. I've always been sort of attracted to smart and silly. Do you know what I mean? People that. Uh, make me laugh, but also occasionally you know, have a point. Yeah, Matt? for well, I was good. Smart and silly is yeah. good. I was gonna say if there's one thing that like I kind of use as like an ideal that we would aspire towards with what we're doing now is oh, cat's doing something in the background. Sorry, uh, is uh, it was it, they only did one season of it. It was brilliant, but when Norm Macdonald had that sports show mm-hmm. for like one year, it was amazing. And uh, I still like I have them downloaded somewhere. I'll go back and watch them, even though all the sports news is totally out of date. That was brilliant, and uh, he just he just hasn't as much luck getting shows, no, you know, yeah. keeping shows on the air. Apparently, it's hard to work with. Yeah. He's that's that's the scoop on him. That's the skinny. Is that McDonald's hard to work with, and he, he also doesn't respect the boundaries. You know, he's one of those comedians that you'll you'll remind him not to say something on television, and you know he'll find a way to get yeah, there. Yeah, he'll do. Yeah. Uh, he, he may not he may not do it overtly, but he'll lick around the edges until the entire audience is ready to just collapse in exhaustion. So, um, he he's certainly one of them. How, how do you guys feel about uh, about? your decision to go with baseball. I mean, if you think about all the different sports out there, was there something specific about baseball, either the way it influenced you both or how you felt it would translate with comedy to a podcast that that maybe pushed you along and made you jump in to Major League Baseball the way you have? Uh, Well, I mean, baseball itself, it's the best radio sport you'll hear. You know, I mean, you don't usually have memories of driving <laughs> the summer wind blowing in your hair and listening to a basketball game on the radio. No, baseball sort of lends itself to this <laughs> to this medium, and we're both huge Jays fans. Uh, Matt, you know, has gone to the dark side for a few years and cheered on the Brewers, but uh, we don't talk about that much. <laughs> and, uh, but we both have a great fondness for baseball, and um, it is, as 
we're both stats people. We both love that. But I mean, it's a nostalgia of a sport. It's just um, it lends itself very much to the comedy. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think there's a pretty good history of of comedy and baseball as well. I remember growing up reading the the Ron Luciano books. And just thought those were absolutely Bob Uecker, hilarious. Two words. Yeah, Bob Euchre. <laughs> I read I read Bob Euchre's Catcher in the Rye long before I ever read J.D. Salinger's Catcher in the Rye. Classic. That that's that's inspirational stuff. And by the way, you want to talk about nostalgia, Matt? Let's talk about once upon a time when the Milwaukee Brewers were the most feared team in the American League East, courtesy of Robin Yount and Paul Molitor. Oh yeah. You want to talk about a one-two punch? Absolutely. Two, two, two Hall of Famers, two Cooperstown Giants, enjoying cocaine like we started the show with, the whole theme. Sadly, uh, more, more Paul, I think, than Robin. Um, what does it say that uh, once upon a time baseball had these heroes that we respected, like a Yount or a Molitor? You don't see as much of that today, do you? I mean, even the big heroes in the game aren't really heroes. They're kind of vanilla, like Mike Trout and Bryce Harper. I um, I find Mike Trout and Bryce Harper uh, fascinating sort of mirrors of each other just because, yeah, Trout is sort of the – he's clearly the best position player in baseball, and he is also the most boring person in baseball. And then you have Harper, who is this pretty boy, pretty boy bad boy type, who is just destroying the ball and has a completely different opposite feel about him. Um, I don't remember where my original point was, but I just wanted to mention I love those guys. I find Mike Trout. I find Mike Trout's uh, obsession with weather is fascinating. You got to deep dive a bit more with Mike Trout, and I, I have a feeling too he's hiding a bit of his personality from the public at large. He doesn't seem to be a guy who cares at all about fame. Because I've heard some other players quoted as saying he's the funniest guy they know. So maybe he's just hiding it. Maybe we don't deserve. Maybe we get we look. We get enough from Mike Trout. Do we need more? Yeah. Plus, these people are told what to say. That never really happened back in the day. You had to talk to the cameras for like 15 minutes a game, maybe if you're lucky enough to get interviewed, and then you went home and you just lived a normal life. Now they have to worry about it. you're on, you know, media almost 24 hours a day if you're an athlete. And I think that's why that's a great point. people don't stick out that's anymore. That's an excellent point. And we do, we do have. That's right. Every, mm-hmm. Oh, I was just gonna say. I mean, we do have at least for now. We still have Joe Biagini. So, you know, fingers crossed that you you know how I feel about Joe Biagini. We talked about this off after we recorded last time, but he's just got to get together on the mound because he's as good a personality as uh, any uh, any athlete in the world. Oh, but what... <laughs> I think I've got some bad news for you, though, Matt. I think the Blue Jays are breaking him in half. Yeah. I think the Blue Jays are doing everything in their power to handle this player in the worst way possible. Yeah. Whether it started with converting him into a starter and then not giving him a fair shake. I mean, maybe what can we use as an analogy when you get a spot start, but you also get told that your job is to be a starter? I mean, basically, you're like on call, and that's what he is all the time. And now that they're finally giving him a chance to go back into the bullpen, you can imagine how crippling it must be for his confidence to give up those glaring hits, which are a lot more glaring when you're a reliever, right? I mean, people won't forget if you give up a home run in the second inning and you go to the sixth. But if they call you to get one out and you give up a home run, you, you guys can't be happy with the way that the team has handled Joe Biagini, everyone's favorite Blue Jay Italian. It's been uh, bungled, if uh, pardon my French, you know what I mean? But uh, you're right, like, uh, he's been 
it, well, one of his best qualities is how expendable and um, not expendable, but how diverse he is, and oh, he can do so many things for you. Uh, and yeah, their big mistake was not letting him do any one for any good significant amount of time, and you've made him worse for it. He should have been a long reliever from the beginning, I've said, because he can eat up innings for you when you don't have anybody rested, you know, because you, the last game you blew six relievers. He's the guy you bring in, or he's the guy you bring in, you know, to get four or five innings the next game because, you know, everybody in the bullpen is dying. Make Biagini a middle reliever again. That's, like, put him back in these lower leverage situations. They used to trot him out in, like, the sixth. Like, don't make him a setup, man. Let him... Gain his confidence back in these other games, and I don't know. I still think he's got potential, and I just I have this feeling, too, with him. He's You listen to interviews with him. He's a really, really smart guy. I just wonder if he's got too much time to think before starts, and it's just he's better coming out of the, coming out of the bullpen, and also his walk-up music is so good that I don't want it to be wasted at the beginning of the game. Let's work it into the middle of the game. Buffalo doesn't deserve him. <laughs> It's an ugly, smelly city. <laughs> well, there are a lot of cities out there right now, down in the miners in particular, that are fortunate enough to be privy to some amazing fledgling talent. And of course, you both know what I'm alluding to, what I'm building up to. I want to get your opinions on the way the Blue Jays are handling Vlad Guerrero and when you'd like to see him begin his journey as the greatest Dominican Republic player of all time. Um, Ooh, here's a great question from you. So uh, loaded, loaded he's nine, yeah, he's 19 years old. So uh, as tempting as it is to bump this kid up because he's hitting something like 430 in Double A baseball and apparently doing better than Mike Trout did when he played Double A. Um, no 19 year old should be forced to play baseball in the major leagues. It, uh, speaking of confidence, you have a better chance of ruining him than you do grooming him for the future. But I'll be honest with you, uh, I'm excited. Um, for Donaldson to get healed up, get himself going, and uh, show a little bit of that old flash that he had so that we can get something for him and start thinking about bringing Vladimir up at least to AAA and then certainly have him up um, when the 40-man roster gets expanded, if not maybe a little bit before then, if he keeps this ridiculous terror going. I mean, I think everyone would love to see to see Vlad up as soon as possible, but here's another question to think about. Let's fast forward six years into the future. So it's uh, 2024, and he's coming to the end. He's about to be a free agent, and we realize, oh, man, if we had just waited, you know, and brought him up one year later, we would have another year of him in his prime. Like, what is that actually going to be worth in dollars at that point, $30, 40000000 Again, I'm just seeing – I can see the other side of the argument – when, you know, is it better to have an extra year in his prime than to have him up at 19? Like, I'm not saying that I espouse that theory or not theory, that that argument, but I can see why, you know, if it doesn't happen, why it doesn't happen. He's not going to get us into the playoffs. Like, there's no rush to bring him up. He's not going to be able to do it by himself. So we might as well make sure he's brought but up properly. put him up in AAA at the very least. I'm telling you, I'm looking around and I'm feeling like with these types of professional clinical responses that you guys will be right at home on my round tables <laughs> because that's what we do. We just sit there and we, you know, we talk about things and we try to understand the rhyme or reason associated with them. 
it is ridiculous. You said right off the the top there, Brian, that this is almost like Groundhog Day, isn't it? All the the injuries and the player regression and the underachievement that exemplified the 2017 Toronto Blue Jays season is literally happening right now. How does that happen two years in a row? Um, that's a great question. I mean, I think um, some of it is literally on the shoulders of the personnel themselves. I mean, there's people underachieving. Um, part of it is then also transferred to the um, people that brought these people into our franchise. Um, we kind of, you know, oh, I mean, again, we're sort of paying for um, our last playoff push. But, yeah, it's, uh, I tell you, I think we need that culture change. Like I was a proponent of doing this all a year before, like starting this in the last mm. off season because I feared the worst, which was that we were going to be stuck in the middle again, which is frankly the worst place to be in sports. Uh, it's the worst it's place. The worst. It's the worst it's place. Death. That's the baseball purgatory, it is. isn't it? Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, unless something dramatic changes, I think we should start bringing up some of those assets, see what we have start protecting some of our bigger names that we want to hang on to, like your Strowmans and your Sanchez and Donaldson. Make make sure they're absolutely healthy so that they maintain full value so that we can use them as chips or, or, or as part of the future. But at the same time, get those T. Oscar Hernandez and some Abats and some Dwight Smith Juniors, and uh, hopefully we can bring up uh, the kid who sucked right check and right field again. Maybe he can turn it around a little bit. Let's see what we have. Let's really open it up and see where the future is pointing and uh, what it's going to take to get us there. You know, I, I always reach that point at every show where I get inspired to name it based on what something my guests may have said. And uh, I think Matt's going to be in agreement, Brian. we got to call this show Bring Up the Assets. Because <laughs> it sounds like... What, it, what does it remind me of today? It reminds me of Tom Cruise announcing Top Gun 2. Bring up the assets. Bring up the assets and a, an aging, dying Val Kilmer. Bring them up. <laughs> Is that for real? Because I would pay to see that movie. <laughs> it's for real. It's happening. Yeah, Top Gun Two is happening. What? You, the three of us have lived long enough to see the Top Gun trilogy almost in completion. <laughs> One more film. One more. You, you know you got to do the follow up today, right? Especially if you break the five hundred million domestic record. Because Bill and Ted Three is happening. That's gonna happen. That I heard about. Wait, that I'm not with the original. Not with. Keith, oh yeah. Keith, oh yeah. Oh no. They're both. They're both. They're both in. <laughs> Imagine being the what's his face in that argument. Eh? Imagine people talking about you and going, "Yeah, it's Brian and what's his face." <laughs> oh, that, can you imagine that? I can. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's Al, Al, Alex Winter. That's the other guy. He's actually like obviously he's not Keanu, but I think he's been a relatively successful director. Or the three tenors. <laughs> no one's Keanu. Man. <laughs> No one's Keanu when uh, you can go from the amount of rom-coms back to the cutting-edge sci-fi all the way to Constantine and then all the way through to Bill and Ted's. I mean, this guy, there's nothing he can't do. And he's Canadian, yes. too, isn't he? he is We're very proud yes, of he's Canadian. Yes, we all three of us collectively proud. Gentlemen, tell me what you've got in store for future episodes of Chatting Practice. What's the game plan right now? Because I got a lot of feedback from my appearance and people talking about your podcast, and they all said the same thing. Entertaining, well-produced, how much should I pay them to do something for me? That was usually what I was hearing. That's how impressed people were. Talk to me. What's up next for the big CP? Uh, well, first of all, we're priceless. We're going to try and put a price on it. Uh, you're wasting your time. Second of all, we're working on some exciting things right now. Uh, we're going to be bringing up part two of our incredible interview with uh, Mark Hatfield. Uh, I'm actually going to be uh, doing a little rapping. Spoiler alert. 
uh, uh, very exciting segments. Uh, it's, it's music. Again, it's entertainment. So, uh, I don't want to spoil it, but uh, you're going to love it, Ari. Uh, some other segments we've, you know, we we want to keep mixing it up. Uh, we've got another segment, uh, uh, You're Out of Here, which we've been working on. We've got some inter- more interviews with some of Brian's uh, comedian sports uh, fan friends. Uh, a little bit we're, wor- we're working on with... Uh, Mr. Don Kelly, can we? I don't know if, if, if we can if we can if we can track him down about uh, the most. Uh, we were gonna rank uh, from least to worst the uh, all the indigenous uh, uh, sports team names. What he thinks are 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 the least offensive to the most offensive. So that's something we've been working on. We're excited to get those results. And that's if that's not the hardest sell for a podcast, <laughs> I, I don't know what is. Well, you know, if anything, it shows a level of commitment that's second to none. And that's what it takes, by the way, to succeed, I think, with any podcast, you'll agree, is staying true to it, stay committed. And, uh, you know, I'll be pushing you guys as much as I can because I'm a big fan of your work, a big fan of the show. You have been listening to Brian Hatt and Matthew Leslie Burke of Chatting Practice. Gentlemen, thank you for dropping by the Jay's Journal Podcast. Thank you, Ari. You're the best. Uh, we, we enjoyed being here and uh, fun fact we both have the name Leslie in our name so that's exciting stuff <laughs> the, things we, the things we learn in the pursuit of